Welcome back, listeners. This is Alex Arabian with Shattering Superstructure. After a brief hiatus, we have film composer extraordinaire Jason Lazarus, who discusses Skull Island, The Gates, two projects, one animated, one live-action horror, two very different, exemplifying his amazing range as a composer and as a musician. We talk about his career, his influences, and what's next for him, as well as, you know, the usual detours in the conversation uh, that are quite fascinating, such as music theory, a little bit about the process of working on a film, which I find incredibly fascinating from a composer's perspective, because it's a whole different beast, but it's all part of the the cog and the system, the, the puzzle piece that fits the larger tapestry of a film that is always a team sport. So it, it, it's really an inside look into that process. Uh, it was great talking with, with Jason, um, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks, listeners. Without further ado, here's Jason Lazarus. So I'll say my last uh, recent score I listened to, and then I want to ask uh, a similar question for you. Um, it was Mac, Max Richter's Ad Asterisk score, uh, the James Gray film. I, I thought that was really powerful. Um, and I love Max Richter in, in, in general. And I'm not sure if he's one of those guys who moved from making his own music to film score or he started doing film scores and then started making his own soundtracks i don't know if it was a, um if you're familiar with that yeah i he's max richter's in the camp of kind of like neo like a neoclassical musician neoclassical artist is a um is kind of the term for that and I, yeah i don't know if he started scoring films before he started releasing his own material but it's the a lot of neoclassical like modern neoclassical is very much it, it sounds like film music it's very it's very evocative of uh visuals and cinema and it's not it's not angular to the sense of like a lot of modern concert music like schoenberg or schoenberg's classic example but or zanakis or something like that where it's actually like it's pleasant to listen to so it's i yeah I, again i don't i can't speak to his specific tra- trajectory but it's like that lane of artistry there's you know another person in that camp is the late johan johansson oh, brilliant brilliant composer brilliant. um uh but you know he his his records his solo records are in that vein of neoclassical where it's like you you listen to them on your own and it's like this could be a film score yeah um oh i i i love him too i was just crushed to hear when he passed away so young. yeah yeah really really sad his his last score is actually one of my favorites. It's the, the Mandy score. Um, that was the last score he completed. Um, and it's fantastic, fantastic, fantastic score and very, very fun film. Yeah. I remember that very well. It's memorable. Um, when did you decide that you wanted to make music in a visual medium? Um, that's a good question. It kind of it kind of just happened 
naturally. I I had been a musician, you know, all through all through high school. And then when I got to college, I kind of didn't really have I was thinking a little too practically and like, Oh, that's a fun hobby. But like now it's time to like get serious and learn how to like get a, you know, get the skills to get a real job and become an adult and that whole thing. So I, I started school as a business economics major at UCLA and, but I was spending all my time playing music. Like I was spending, I was not interested in, in the course material and I was just spending all my time smoking weed and playing music. And at a certain point I kind of had the realization that like, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm interested in. I might as well just like, just do this. Otherwise I'm, I'm not going to be happy. And it's what I'm spending my time doing, um, doing anyway. So I, and just by happenstance, my, my roommate freshman year at UCLA was in the UCLA theater program, which is a very, very small program. Um, I think there were like 40 kids in the program or something like that. So just all the kids that I was hanging around with were, were actors, directors, writers, people on, on that side of the visual medium. And then, so I was always the musician that was hanging out with all the theater kids and all the actors and all the directors and the writers. So uh, I would actually say the, the, how, how I started writing music for visual medium is we, we started an improv troupe in college we were called the wait list hmm. and so there was a very very small improv theater in westwood called uh at the time it was called ultimate improv and then it changed its name to the improv space and i don't know what it's called now or if it's even still there but um we would perform the wait list every thursday nights it was our slot at uh at ultimate improv and then the improv space and i would improvise music live to the scenes so i wasn't playing the entire time but you know the um, the improvisers would be on stage, the actors would be on stage. And at a certain point when the scene hit, hit a moment where there was a de defining moment in the scene, whether it was, uh, whether it was a romance or some bomb was dropped and it, you know, it got really tense. I would then start improvising on guitar and essentially live scoring the scene. So I, I guess in a way that's how, that's how I started writing for for film or for visual medium and then it so that that must have been sophomore or junior year of of college and by this time i had understood that i really wanted to write music for a living so i started teaching myself uh i started teaching myself co classical composition in order to get into the composition program at ucla Mm. Um, very long story short, ended up getting into the program my final year. And because I had already had those connections with filmmakers and actors, by this time, people had started making short films. So I started scoring short films, um, while I was in college. And then, um, and then a big, uh, uh another big thing that happened to me while I was still in school is I took a class, um, from, uh, from a composer named Joe Trapanese. who was very, very young at the time. He was, I think, 24, 25. And he had just finished collaborating with Daft Punk on the Tron score. So he'd orchestrated it, but he, that hadn't come out yet at this point. So he had just finished his graduate work at UCLA. I'm an undergraduate at UCLA. He comes back as an adjunct professor to teach a class 
I took that class. The class was in, I forget the name of the class. It was like electronic composition or something like that. It was basically just learning the basics of logic, Apple's Logic Pro. I took the class. I was his best student. We developed a relationship. And then as soon as I graduated, his career was starting to take off and he needed help with his project. So I was his first call and we have been working together for, God, that I officially started working for Joe in uh, in 2012 and have since, you know, kind of moved on and started doing my own thing, but, uh, we still, we still work together on projects. So that's, that was a big, uh, a big, big moment for me and getting my, my foot in the door, um, and just getting to, to, to be there and actually doing the thing. That's incredible. And I'm scoring improv, like it's got to keep you on your toes. Oh Uh, yeah. So I'm wondering if like that, you know, helped inform your your process later on like when you're list when you're watching a scene do you get something off the top of your head you know that's a little improv and say oh i'm this is good i'm going to keep it in you know yeah absolutely i mean the most importantly what it what it helped me develop was was understanding the important moments in a scene understanding what a scene is about understanding the nature of the relationship of the characters in the scene mm. those were the skills that was developed during those time and obviously that just be, being able to improvise musically that's you know that's a whole that's a whole other can of worms but but in terms of this specific medium scoring to film that those were the skills that were really developed was just like understanding what is the scene about? What is it? What are the important moments in the scene and whose perspective are we, are we following or are we playing to? And also like themes, right? You know, what, what's the, the thematical through line, which yeah. I'm sure with improv can change quite a bit depending on the scenario. Um, and how many interest, instruments do you play or at least are adept at? Oh, God. I can I can kind of pick up anything and make noise on it and, like, fake my way to it. You know, I'm I'm decent at guitar. I've got – you might be able to see I've got a few surrounding me. I've got – I spend most of my day in front of a keyboard, but, like, I'm not a keyboardist. I'm not a piano player. It's just – it's just the medium, the easiest medium with which to interact with the computer, which is where the writing is getting done. So spend a lot of time on keyboards, which you can kind of see in the frame. I've got guitars. Uh, I was a brass player in high school, although I haven't really pulled out. That's kind of bra- brass instruments are kind of a, uh, a, a family of instruments that if you don't keep up with it, you kind of like lose. It's, you know, I, I could pick up a trumpet and and play some very basic stuff and have it sound okay. But after 10 minutes, my lips are done. Like I can't, I can't hang anymore. Um, But luckily for what I do, you don't have to be a very good musician. You just have to, you just have to, you just, you just have to write this stuff and you can hire other people to play it that are, that are way, way, way better than you are. And obviously it definitely helps to be a musician getting into this field, but it's, you don't have to be, you don't have to be a competent, virtuosic, whatever musician in order to be successful at writing music. Right. I mean, I think uh, perhaps that's why, you know, a lot of composers utilize like full orchestras to, to realize their vision. I mean, obviously they can't do it all them, themselves. Not to say that they aren't, 
good musicians, but uh, it seems to me like filmmaking that it's a collaborative process as much as, you know, the way directing, producing, acting and the crew works, right? Oh, it is it is the most collaborative art form. I don't think there is any other form. I don't think there's anything else that is more collaborative, more collaborative of an art than filmmaking. Yeah, 100 um, percent. I always call it a team sport. Um, and what are some of your let's start with filmmakers, filmmaking influences? Um, I mean, I grew up, you're, you're wearing one of my favorite films right now, Jurassic Park. That's, oh, yeah. I, it's, it might be my favorite film, but it's, it's definitely up there. Um, you know, I, I grew up, I grew up in the watching films in the, like the mid, mid, the nineties, essentially into the early two thousands. So Jurassic Park, Indiana Jones, Star Wars, like a lot of Spielberg, um, and then, uh, in terms of in terms of modern filmmakers, huge fan of of Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, I'm there, seeing There Will Be Blood when I was in college, like left a big big mm -hmm. mark on me. That is also one of my one of my favorite films. And also, Johnny Greenwood's score to that film. Just I remember mm -hmm. it it def it it moved me in ways. No, it definitely it stuck with me, and it's something I uh, it's something I think about a lot. Um, and then recently, um, I've gotten really, really into horror. And every, you know, everything Ari Aster does is uh, is incredibly, incredibly, incredibly fun to watch. Um, and you've got a bunch of you've got a bunch of comedy guys mm -hmm. shifting into horror, which is a whole other conversation. But there's I have theories on to why that's a great thing. But you know, Jordan Peele's movies are great. Zach, Zach, is it Kreger or Kruger? You know, from uh, from Whitest Kids You Know, just directed Barbarian, which is fantastic. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, it's 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 it'll just turn into laundry list of of yeah. fantastic direct. You know, Stanley Kubrick's movies are amazing. It's like name. I'm just I'm I'm a fan. I'm a fan of film in general. But those are those are some of the some of the first ones that come to mind. That's awesome. Um, and like, okay, music, artist, composer, or film score influences. Um, yeah, that's, that's tough. I would say in terms, in terms of film, in terms of film score and, uh, influences where I'm at right now, I, Hans Zimmer is fantastic. People have a lot of feelings about, uh, about his style of writing and the way he runs his businesses, but it's, I, I cannot think of, forget, forget film composers. I cannot think of another musical artist who is continually getting more relevant as he gets further into his career and is doing continually better and better work as he gets further in, into his career. And I, the way I am a fan of musical simplicity and economy and he is a master of that these these beautiful beautifully epic and powerful scores are so so simple and that's something that a lot of people that that's that's kind of a loaded statement they're, they're very complex in how they're put together but the actual musical statements and musical language are, are very very simple the melodies are very very simple which is one of the ways it makes it so effective and it's that takes that takes a lot of restraint and that takes a lot of taste. And one of the things I've seen with people who are competent musicians who are, 
um, very, very good at instruments, know a lot about music theory. It's, it's hard to do something simple and effective because you can do so much more. And just using writing a melody with two notes or with three notes feels like it's, it's just counterintuitive to someone who's so overly trained in, in music and the, the amount of restraint and taste and uh, trying to think of another adjective in that same vein, but it's just, he, he's definitely like a big influence and he's someone that I ad- admire whose body of work I admire and such range too. Oh yeah. Um, um, sorry, sorry. were you going to say something? No, no, go for it. Um, so yeah, de- definitely, definitely Hans is a big influence. I'm a huge fan of Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross and everything that they put out, um, for different and similar reasons. It's just the, they, they are examples of, they, they have, they have a thing and they have taste and you know when a score is by them and a lot of people emulate it and don't get it quite as, you know, they, they, they are the only ones that are going to be able to do that thing as well as they do. And again, the range they play, they play on emotional range. That's why I'd say that their scores are very, um, very identifiable as them, but the emotional, the range of emotion that they go from, from very intimate and, and sparse and heartfelt to just, you know, on the nine inch nail spectrum, very aggressive and in your face. It's just, I love, I love seeing that dichotomy in artists. Um, and that's, that's something that I try to, uh, that I, I try to play with as well. Um, we mentioned Johan Johansson, fantastic composer. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, it, it's interesting. Jo- John Williams, I listened to John Williams music a lot, uh, growing up, obviously with, listening to all these classic films. Um, But it's, again, he's one of those composers that like he, that is his sound. And there are people that are able to do things similar. Michael Giacchino is the first one that comes to mind, but like, it's, it's, it's never going to be John Williams. And if you want that sound, I mean, I guess John Williams is in his nineties now. So, you know, unfortunately he's not going to be around forever, but it's, if you want that sound, like that's, John Williams is the person to do it and it, other people is just going to be, it's, it's just not going to be the same thing, but um, there are, there are a lot of very straight uh, orchestral composers that do, that do very good work. Uh, Michael Giacchino, Alexander Desplat, Alexander or Alexandre? I'm not sure. Don't. <laughs> I think it's Alexander. Alexander. I'd be mistaken. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, John Powell does just very, very, uh, very very effective like orchestral based scores um kind of more more in that traditional thing i mean he's he kind of bridges the traditional to the to the modern but um yeah now this is also gonna gonna turn into a laundry list um <laughs> non uh non film composers i i grew up listening the, there's a band called refused which uh which is a post hardcore band i don't know if you're familiar do you know refused I don't think so. No. They're, they're a Swedish post-hardcore band. They came out with a uh, they came out with a record called "The Shape of Punk to Come" in 1998, and it's just very it's very aggressive, like post-hardcore punk music. And I loved that record when I was in high school. And um, I've done I've written a lot of action music, more driving, and I've I've kind of realized retroactively, like so so much of my sensibilities and how I bring aggression and rhythm 
is derived from that early influence of refused. The way they use the way they use syncopations and the way the guitars play off the drums and whatnot. It's like it's like, oh, I'm just essentially doing that orchestrally a lot of the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um to to your point, I think simplicity is, yeah, there's a time for it, which is more often than not, I think, in film. Like it, the tendencies is to make it really, really dense, right? Because like you said, it feels counterintuitive. But like when I think of simplicity, I think of John Williams and not in a bad way, but it's like the the fifth jumps and the um just like the 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 major to minor shifts and uh i mean there's nothing too complex about it but it's it's just so so perfect to each film oh, and I, I beg to differ that the harmonic language that john williams uses is yeah. it is very very complex a lot of times like you you can break the components into into like simple terms but the way even just the jurassic park theme like the the that melody oh god i'm gonna i'm gonna sound like an idiot now but he dun, 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 ba, dun, yeah. like you're moving up you're moving up a whole you, you know you're starting on what sounds like the tonic but then you move up a whole step so you're actually oh maybe this is like a four to five switch and then it's like the the melody has the has the sharp five in it and it's just it, it's but it sounds so natural but it's like when you actually look at it on its face it's it's a very complex melody over over an unexpected chord progression. Wow, you're right. Yeah, yeah, that's that's incredible. And the melodies sim- sometimes almost make it sound simple, but like they're way more, like you're saying, they're way more complex than actual song. And, and yeah. that that is the mark. That is the mark to me of someone who's a master at what they do. Is that, that you know you think about an athlete? Oh, they made that look easy. Like John Williams, he made that sound easy. But it's like it's actually you know tell someone else to write a melody with those components, and it's going to sound like a mess. Right. Um, here on simplicity, all uh, this is a this is a podcast, so it's going to be great. This is the background of my phone. I don't know if you can recognize what it is but this is the picasso bull reduction oh and this is something this has been the background uh this has been the background of my phone you can you can look this up uh so you can see it better but it's basically this this exercise was picasso it's all these different cells and on one end you have a, a drawing of a bull like a pretty you know it's it's not photorealistic but it's a detailed drawing of a bull as you move through the cells and the progression, the exercise is trying to find like, what is the fundamental essence of bull? Like, what is the least amount I can do? And it still is a bull. And you, when you get to the final cell, it's, I don't know, eight, eight lines, 10 lines, something like that. It's very, very simple. It's just an outline with a few little details, but it's still a bull. And that's something that I try to I I tend to notice that I my ideas are overly complex at the beginning, and then I try to find the essence of them and start pulling it away and pulling it away and pulling it away until I get like, okay, here here is the actual core idea of what I'm trying to do, and if necessary, I can build that back up. But it's it it's it's been so helpful for me to to try to reduce whatever I'm doing to that essential form, and then use that as the as the building block to to 
take it somewhere else as opposed to that initial idea that I put down. That's fascinating. Um, I love that, that metaphor um, of the reduction. I mean, it, that makes a lot of sense to me. You put, when you put it in those terms, painters you've mentioned, mentioned composers, filmmakers, and um, I feel like every artist, it's kind of like that. Like um, it's always an amalgamation of your pop culture or artistic tastes, no matter what medium you work in, you know? Yeah, I mean, at the at the end of the day, too, it's all it's all communication. It's all just different mediums of communication. It's you're you're communicating an emotion, you're communicating an idea, communicating a feeling, and it's like you can do that. You can do that through through a visual medium. You can do that painting, drawing. You can do that through sculpture. You can do that through music. You can do that through through writing. It's just so it's it's just. It, you know, at the at the at the at the very beginning of whichever branch you take of that, the idea is there's something that you're trying to express, or there's something you're trying to communicate, and getting in touch with that is kind of, is the starting point. And then through whichever medium you're trying to do it, you you figure out how to do it. So like, yeah, like with screenwriting, I it, it's I'm the same way. I have such these complex ideas. You put it all in one on one draft and your first goal is to whittle it down you know and not necessarily make it overly simple but like just less complex more palatable and obviously you know um abide by screenwriting language um and some of those rules are you know malleable but there are some rules that you definitely have to stick to once you get the ideas down. Um, I don't know if you feel as confined as a composer by by rules, or can you know are you able to throw some conventions out the door? Yeah, that was. It depends on the context, but I'd say in general, in just a in just the sense of music making. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that was one of the things that I found very, very, very interesting about film composition is if you're if you're trying to be an indie musician, you're trying to be a pop musician and you're making records, it's sometimes you can make something that's completely out of left field and people will respond to it. But for the most part, it's people are very, very conscious of sticking in some certain lane. It needs to sound like a pop song. It needs to sound like an indie record, it needs to sound whatever. In film scoring, there is a lot, lot, lot more room for experimentation. And a lot of times, the weirder you can get with it, the more filmmakers are going to be responsive to it. And then hopefully the audience as well. So I feel like, yes, in a, in a certain regard, there is a lot more freedom to do whatever. And it it is it it still passes or it's, it still makes sense under the banner of film score or film composition. Um Another interesting thing about what we do when you get on a specific project, though, that's when that's when the box becomes or that's when the constraints become very important because you can do whatever. But what is going to most effectively support this story? Um, and e even within you then get into a smaller box, even within the context of the scene. One of the things that I that I really like about film composition is 
although there are you know a thousand ways to skin a cat or whatever the whatever the saying is there a scene is what the scene is and there may there might be some choices you can make in what to bring out of that scene musically or what to play to musically but certain things are going to feel right and certain things are not like there there are right and wrong answers in my opinion um you know, if if it's a very intimate scene and you're playing and you're playing psycho screechy strings behind it, that is not that is not going to be effective in telling the story that's on screen. So, hope that answered your question. Um, it, it it totally did, and to you know a little bit to that point, you know, you mentioned in the past that you, you try to incorporate live instruments whenever you can, but do you feel like over the past 20, 40 years? it's moved away from sort of uh, actual physical instruments to, to digital. And do you think that's um, a positive thing for more freedom or is it, you know, um, more of a negative thing for the industry? Again, depends on the context. Um, the, so, so when there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of things to talk about, in that concept as well um on the one hand there's digital digital instruments like well these are analog synths so they're actual they're analog instruments but they you know they're synthesizers they're not traditional you know violins basses cellos guitars whatever and then on the purely digital side of just being within a computer so much of what we do is making mock-ups using sample libraries of of recorded, you know, actual recorded violins and cellos and trombones and whatnot, where these uh, these companies that put out these sample libraries have these sessions that last for weeks where you're literally recording every note of the violin with every articulation five, 10, 15 times. So you have what's called a round robin. So if you hit the same note twice and you're not playing the exact same, and then these get compiled in these libraries where I can sit at my computer and play, play on the keyboard and it sounds like a violin playing. Mm. So that's basically every, every score, whether or not it's going to be recorded by live musicians or not, with the exception, I think John Williams is one of the only people that doesn't have to do mock-ups but you will that's how that's how it is written it it exists in a in a mocked up digital version of it before you get to the final recording stage recording session at the end the negative so on the one hand it's great because filmmakers can understand what things are you know more or less what things are going to sound like before you actually get to the recording session where you're recording a lot of uh, a lot of live musicians the negative aspect of that, though, is people going like, oh, well, the mock-up is just good enough. Using this fake stuff is just good enough. Um, so in that sense of trying to emulate actual human beings playing orchestral instruments in a room, I think that's that's a negative trend of people being like, oh, well, we can just spend less money and just use these, use these mocked-up sample library versions. Um, in terms of using digital tools, computers, synthesizers, you know, crazy effects, that's just another tool in the toolkit for, for creativity and for expression and for new sounds. Um, but when, when, you, when a human touch is called for, I don't think substituting that with a, with a non-human, uh, non-human pastiche of it is 
is the right way to go. So my feelings. That makes a lot of sense. And it reminds me of like, you know, that when you say it's another tool in the toolkit, it's an art form in and of itself. It's like you, you, you think about what, what Jay Dilla did, you know, and, and beginning in the eighties with the, the A track, just making sort of hip hop, creating hip hop beats his own and almost creating like a, a new genre of, of, of music, you know, with this slightly offbeat, you know, drums and manipulating of samples. Um, it's incredible what, what he did. The guy's a genius, but it just reminds me a lot of, of the composing process too. You, you know, um, like these things are, are they complement each other. Um, yeah, and, and whenever whenever a new technology is introduced, it you it it's a different it's a different process. Like interacting, you know, in Jay Dilla's case of like interacting with like an MPC, like that's a different process of expression and musical musical creation than it would be if he were sitting down at a piano. If he were like writing songs using a piano or like making beats, recording himself like on a piano, it would be a different result it's just the the nature of the interaction with the medium and with the tools it's going to that that difference in process will produce a different result and that's that's one of the reasons i feel like a lot of i mean musicians in general but definitely film composers they they look like pack rats you can't really see my full tiny room here but there's just all sorts of different types of instruments and synthesizers and effects and whatnot because it's i on, on the one hand it's a bit uh it's a bit of an obsession and a rabbit hole that's in the, uh, in the nerdy music communities, they call it gas gear acquisition syndrome. But the way I can justify it is you get so used to doing things in a certain way. And if you force yourself to change the, the tools with which you're interacting with the nature of that change, hopefully, but more often than not is going to, is going to elicit a different result because you're not doing it in exactly the same way you did it in last time, the last time. Um, so it's it's kind of a way to stay fresh and inspired and um, yeah. yeah i recently saw skull island uh and loved it loved the whole series oh, thank you score. yeah yeah it was it was i love the the when they expand the mythos of like the under uh earth theory uh hollow yeah. earth. hollow earth yeah you know I, I i always wanted to ask this question is composing in an animated medium different than um, live action, or or is it just purely like genre, tone, character based? Do you keep the same core? Um, yeah, it it the short the short answer is the short answer is going to be no because you can the animation you can have a horror animation and you can have a you know Looney Tunes animation. So it really depends on what the story is like it's i i approached writing writing for skull island no differently than i've approached writing for any other project um process wise there are a few differences which we can or cannot go into that's i i'd actually say you're dealing with picture changes a lot less frequently with animation because it's so expensive to change things um whereas when you're working on a film you can be getting a new cut of the film sometimes multiple times a week like with changes and things have moved over here and so it's just like as a composer then you got to open up your your sessions and conform everything to the new cut and it's just it's it's a hassle it's one of the things that just comes with comes with the job but 
yeah, so it, so the lack of picture changes is quite nice. Um, but yeah, in terms of telling the story, it's just whatever whatever it, it calls for. And uh, I think to that to that point, like let's say you're working on a project. Um, do you submit like a sample beforehand sometimes, or or is it usually required that you have to watch the scene first in order to to think of something, or does it start with you reading the script and be like, okay, I got the tone. I know the director's vision. I can already start ideating and maybe provide samples to it. Yeah, it, it really depends on the project. Um, the ideal situation is when you is when you're brought on early before the film is even shot, and you um, and you've read the script, and then you can just start writing musical ideas. Like if it's you know you you understand the main themes of the film, you understand kind of the different vibes that are going to be needed and you can start to just write music away from picture that you think is going to is going to hit those vibes so for skull island actually i started i wrote um i wrote the uh spoiler alert um uh the the kraken theme was this uh i don't know if you picked up on it but it was this like motif that kept like repeating um and i had this i had maybe a seven minute suite of music that i'd written just for different different vibes that i thought would would be used when the kraken appears and so there's there's very intimate mysterious stuff settings of that theme on a bass flute there's more horror versions of that that are like more aleatoric there's driving action versions where that theme comes in and then there's these big just like epic tragic like the the biggest version of those so there's yeah it's maybe like five to seven minutes sweet before seeing a frame of picture and a lot of that then i was able to you know very rarely are you then able to plop that into picture and then it just works Hans Zimmer being being an example, people will people who've worked with him say he he just understands what is going to work so well that a lot of times he's just written stuff without seeing picture and you put it in and it just works like it's it's really 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 a genius in that regard. So I again looping back to why I I, I try to take so much influence from what he does. That this to me is a very Hans Zimmer approach. Is I tried to be like, okay, I'm I'm understand the the types of things that are going to be happening around this character. Let me write a big piece of music that tries to like go on all those journeys. Um, and sometimes I was able to plop it in and just change a few things and cut out a bar here and move this over here and it would work. But other times I would have to then spend a lot of time like taking that material I'd already written and like, okay, well this section is going to need to it come a minute later this actually this section that was two minutes later needs to be bumped up against this section and so it's kind of like building blocks that you can kind of rearrange and then massage in order to get the to get the storytelling right yeah absolutely creating this is the larger tapestry um and you mentioned Hans Zimmer again I I saw him in concert one time and it was just it's one of the best shows I've ever seen because like you said when you talk about range which I'm going to get to with the gates it's like I was able to see his entire career from like the early 90s to the stuff he's made in the last few years and it's just like no single score is the is 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 sounds you can tell it's Hans Zimmer, but I mean it's it's like how do you go from from 
gladiator to like superhero movies to like you know quiet uh more of the intimate stuff that he's done so that's a great influence to have obviously and um I, i i see the same sort of range in you especially after watching skull island and the gates nearly back to back it's like um damn those are two very yeah. different doors that that complement the film so much so bravo yeah, well, well thank you they, yeah um they're, they're both uh they're both a lot of fun to work on um i'll i'll take that compliment um, <laughs> yeah, so i mean it, it yeah it adds to the atmosphere of the film the victorian era um and so like you i imagine you mentioned you recently got into horror too a little bit more so this must have been just an ideal project and super fun oh yeah well i i uh i forgot to i forgot to mention mr mr eggers when we were talking about uh um filmmakers that we really admire when i saw the witch when it came out that was that was what opened the door for me i was like i had kind of had this conception in my head of horror being you know slashers and like jump scares and stuff like that and when i saw the witch i was like this movie is incredible the world building the again the economy of it it's just it's just all it's 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 the simplest version of our western conception of witches every trope was there my i don't think there was ever a pointy hat but literally every other witch trope or on the broom in front of the or on the stick in front of the moon the poison apple the like it it just being confined to a single family like a witch hunt within that family and just the the costuming the set designing music everything was just so contained in this world so that was what blew everything up open for me in terms of horror it was like oh wait horror does not necessarily mean like campy slasher. Um, and so that's when I started like, you know, going back and like watching all the classics and watching every every new horror film. Like my my watch list is just, it's basically just all horror. Those are like all the films I'm excited to see with, you know, and like Oppenheimer and the new Dune movie and stuff like that. But other than that, it's, it's basically all horror. Um, well, yeah, man, my brother and I, that's like our favorite thing to do when we hang out. It's like, what horror movie are we going to watch? You know, and it's usually indie horror because we love indie movies um, or indie horror. Um, and I don't get me wrong. I love mainstream horror, too. But um, yeah, it tend, what was tend one of the-, the hidden gems. Yeah. We've been watching a lot of found footage okay. lately, like. And even and we even seek out the worst. Like, let's just like see which one got the worst reviews, and like we watch <laughs> watch it and we just be like, "This is fucking awesome!" Like, are you kidding me? Like, because you don't have expectations and you don't have to like overanalyze certain parts of it. And then there's the more horror that adds social commentary that you know really is a tool to 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 say something about our society. Yeah. The, I mean, it's it's impossible to talk about found footage horror without bringing up Paranormal Activity. Um, right. I watched, I rewatched Paranormal Activity recently and was blown away. Again, speaking of economy, within the first thirty seconds of the film, so much information comes to you, and it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like exposition. You get the whole setup of everything within thirty seconds of what sound like little throwaway like 
you know, not important lines. Everything is there in the first 30 seconds. Maybe it, maybe it was like 45 seconds or a minute, but it's just so I was, it kind of like blew my mind. It was like, it's all right here. Like we're, we're a minute into the movie and everything is right here. Like it's, it was fantastic. Oh yeah. I watched that in theaters and I, I have this thing where when I get scared, tears just come out of my eyes. (laughs) The whole time I was just like streaming down my face, my friends going like, are you okay, man? And I'm like, I'm just scared. No, this is, this is great. This is good. But, you know, I, 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 I mentioned this earlier about the, I think the link to the 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 grounded in realism that the gates has uh, to sort of contrast the occult theme um and it seems like horror scores might inform the tone of the film a little more than most genres i don't know what your opinion is on that like each flourish and note uh and embellish in in this score is 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 so precise and you know i think particularly with the horror genre if it doesn't have the right score it can totally take away from the building of an atmosphere and terror and whatever form that is it's all yeah it's all horror is all tension and so if you if something is slightly too early or slightly too late you've broken the tension um or it's so yeah it and a lot of times the less you do the more tense it's going to be but it's like you can't completely disappear but it's it, it is a very 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 fine balance um and i got a, a the co-composer on the film max i got to give him most of the credit for how this score turned out this this actually started as as his film and his score and we're collaborators we've we've collabor- collaborated on a ton of projects over the years um but uh, I came in, I came in maybe like halfway through the process. So he'd already established like a language. And then together, kind of what I brought to the table once that language was established was more of these little detail, detail, detail oriented moments. It's like he, he nailed the vibe. He got, he got the palette and he got the vibe down. And then it became taking what that vibe he had established um, and and using that and molding it to really bring out more of the storytelling. Um, and yeah, I think that answered the question. Um, and, it, and it's not so much like an oratorio as it is like a, a contained like nod to that, that era of, of, of music, which was already nostalgic for simpler times because of s- such drastic changes that were coming around in the late 19th century um you know harmonies the inextricable link to religion the sort of you know the the piano which is extremely prominent in an orchestra during that time period um i just found all these little hints um to that era of music and i'm wondering if, if that was something that was in you guys's mind um oh absolutely incorporating setting right has to be considered we, so we we were very very conscious um uh very very conscious of the palette being we wanted to sound like even though the style of writing and the and the way the instruments were used is not something that would have been appropriate for music of that time we wanted the actual sound 
mm-hmm. of the instrument. So it's it's mostly it's mostly all just you know violin, cello, double bass, piano, harp. Um, and then some found objects that were recorded and heavily manipulated, but we wanted that we wanted the baseline of the palette to be tied to what would have been musically appropriate for that era. Um, and then be, because there is this supernatural element, we we then heavily heavily distort and manipulate a lot of uh, a lot of those elements to bring that level of of aggression. Um, and we were very, very conscious. Both both Max and I love electronic music and love write, using synthesizers, and and that that's kind of our go-to when we're doing more aggressive stuff. And on this one specifically, we we're like, none of that. the 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 use of electricity in this film is literally going to be that electricity, like the electric chair. That that is going to be the electrical component of this film, and everything that we're going to do, we're going to try to root in a more organic world. I forgot to yeah, bass clarinet also uh, plays a big a big role as one of the instruments I forgot. So that 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 uh, yeah, we wanted we wanted to kind of juxtapose our s- s- organic, even though it's heavily manipulated, organic instrumental sound against this other character of electricity that's being introduced into into the world. Wow. So so is that sort of ominous humming in the background? Is that often the bass clarinet? Oh, that's actually probably me <laughs> actually humming. <laughs> oh, I, yeah. I recorded that's... some, I recorded some vocals. I recorded some vocals on the score and then pitched them down and spread them all around. Um, uh, layered myself a million times. Um, awesome. There is, there is, there is bass clarinet, but that's, it's usually pretty recognizable as a bass clarinet until, until the climax of the movie. There's something that actually, if you're listening to it, you're like, I thought they said they didn't use synths. There's something that sounds like a pretty, aggressive distorted synth it's a bass clarinet heavily distorted layered with another bass bass clarinet that was pitched an octave down there are there are things that sound like electric guitars which are uh you know double basses run through guitar amps um i guess you run anything through a guitar amp it's going to sound like an electric guitar but um but again it was important to us even if even if where you end up is a different place and evoking all these things. It's, it's important. It was important to us um, to start from a place of organicism. Yeah. And do you make your, your own music? Um, You mentioned you like to just, you were constantly writing in in college already and and playing around. So is that something that, that you've done? Uh, Yeah. I haven't released anything though. It's, um, it's always kind of been the the mistress project. So I do, for the, I mean, quite honestly, for the last many years, I've been so busy doing film. I haven't really had time to, uh, to do just music for me and like work on an album, but I have, I have a folder on my computer that has a bunch, a bunch of started songs, ideas, sketches, whatever. It's, it's, I don't even know what kind of genre to call it. It's, um, uh so at at some point yes i will i will release some of my own music but um who who knows when that will be i hope sooner rather than later yeah it's a balancing act you know yeah Uh, personal and professional projects for sure uh and do you have you mentioned some of your favorite filmmakers do you have a dream filmmaker to work with or or you know let's let's to keep it as a you know, 
to not go into to laundry list territory, let's say like top three. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely. I always forget. Is it Roger or Robert Eggers? I'm so I'm so embarrassed now. I always wh- whichever one I choose is always the wrong one. I think, um, it's, I think it's Robert. It's Robert, right? Robert Eggers. Yeah, I I love the world building he does and the way that he tells stories. That's definitely a dream collab. Like I would be over the moon. Um, uh, Ari Aster, I'd mentioned before, but he's got such a good working relationship with like with with Mr. Krillick that uh, those are one of the one of those things. That's like if if a filmmaker and a composer have a good thing going, like you know, I want to, I want to admire them from afar. You know, it's almost like seeing, having a crush on, having a crush on someone who like ends up getting in a relationship with very healthy relationship. It's like, you know, I got definitely got a crush on you, but you got a good thing going and I don't want to mess that up. Like, (laughs) um, yeah, I've, I'm a big, big fan, big fan of Ari Aster's work. Yeah. Those are, those are the, those are the top two I'd say right now. Um, but, and, but be, beyond that, it's like what what really excites me is working with the person whose work I haven't seen yet, like who mm-hmm. like the young, the young filmmaker who's got a lot to say and a lot of talent that that I haven't seen that, you know, their their work has yet to come out. Like, that's who I'm most excited to work with. Oh, yeah. I, I love that um, because you would you're like investing your time and their vision because you believe in it and it's like you know the you're excited to see where they go next too is 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 the great thing um so i've heard that actually from a lot of people in this industry that they actually really enjoy working with first-time uh directors um and people whose work they haven't seen maybe not um always first time but just whose work they aren't familiar with um, and I think yeah, there's a, a testament to trying to constantly creatively push yourself. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's, I, I, we're required as, as film composers, we are required to write a lot of music, uh, on just a lot of music. It's a lot of music. And so and you sometimes will find yourself as hard as you try, you're trying to, you're trying to keep things fresh, but you will, Sometimes I find myself like, I feel like I've written this cue like 20 times before. Like, the, I, you know, I'm going from this chord to this chord. And it's like just finding finding ways to make it fresh, even though you're still like, you're pulling from the same experiences and the same sensibilities. Um, and working with new people encourages you to to try things in a new way oh, i just i just had something that was going to be so profound and it lost my head now um it flew out of my head and yeah and, and another thing with working like in, in a way it's fun to work with people who are a bit like naive in the process as well because they're not just like drawing on well this is the way i've always done it this is how i do these scenes like it, it really approaching approaching it with that level of of naive ignorance can be incredibly and I, I and I don't mean that in any negative way. Like it, the take take that term naive ignorance in the most positive. Like it just that that is like real creation. You're not drawing on well. I know exactly how to do this because I've done it right. twenty times before. It's really like it really is creating because you're you're stepping off into the unknown into a territory that you're not really know how to do this, and something hopefully cool comes out the other end. 
And it almost makes it more collaborative. You've got people asking yeah. questions, being vulnerable, like, hey, do you think this looks or sounds right? Right. You know, it's um, it's a lot of that, which I think is always appreciated when 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 someone is asked from, you know, the the captain of a project, like to to lend their voice or their opinion makes you feel uh, even more sort of intermeshed into the the group effort that is filmmaking yeah it's it's actually it's funny you say that there, there have been sometimes with younger filmmakers where um not, if there's any composers listening to this i'm not suggesting this becomes the norm but there have been times where we're working on a scene and i'll realize that like oh well we are trying to achieve x x goal and i can do this musically but actually like i noticed i think if the edit was slightly tweaked here what we're trying to achieve with music to like kind of make this band-aid would actually like be better, better served in the edit. And then music you can do this. And it's like, you know, if you're working, if you're working on a project with, with Christopher Nolan or something like that, you're going to give, you're going to give the director editing notes. Like, I don't fucking think so. But like when you do have that more of a, like, you know, everyone's just kind of figuring this out together. It's a lot more like casual young filmmaker vibe. Like there have been times when I have made those suggestions and they've been listened to and they've been implemented and it, and it worked. And it was like, then it really did feel like that, that, that collaborative environment. And again, I'm not saying, you know, composers start giving edit notes or story notes or anything like that, but it's just, it just speaks to that testament of, of when, when a collaboration is working really, really well. There's, um, <laughs> there's a, I'm sure, I'm sure other aspects of this industry say this all the time, but one of the things I've heard composers and, and what I didn't say is, uh, in Hollywood, everybody knows, everybody knows their department. Everybody knows their skill and music. <laughs> <laughs> like everyone, everyone has, everyone has, uh, opinions when it comes to music and how they think it should be done. <laughs> and how does it work when you have a composer and a music supervisor who ha asked, who's getting other artists like, you know, songs like a pop song or a rock song in the movie. Like, do you collaborate with the music supervisor or? Yeah. It, if, if there is a, so yeah, the, in general, those are two like very separate jobs. The composer, the composer is there to write music for the original score for the film. The music supervisor is there to find pre-existing songs for parts of the film that were a song would be appropriate, a lot of time for the end credits, and also to find an artist sometime to write an original song, whether to be in the film or to be in the end credits. And sometimes that overlaps with the composer because the composer will work with the artist or provide some material like a main theme of the film. The artist will then use as a starting point and it becomes, and then the, you know maybe the composer will then write some string parts over it. So that that's when that can all become like very collaborative. Uh, but in uh, just your, your general run of the mill, a lot of times they're just kind of separate jobs. The, the, the music supervisors working on clearing, finding and clearing songs, the composers off, you know, writing, writing music for the film. And, um, did you ever see Swiss army man? Uh, you know, I never saw Swiss army man, but I've listened to the score many times because it has been referenced on a few projects that, um, I've worked with that's that was the Daniels, right? Those are that was before, the Daniels, yeah. That was before the everything, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love that, uh, you know, you've listened to it, but I love that score, um, because of the the 
then the Daniels helped contribute to it a bit. So to your point about like, you know, everyone in the industry knows their job and music. Um, it, but it seems like they, it was a collaborative effort as well between the actors. You had Paul Dano and Daniel Radcliffe singing on the songs and they even do uh, acapella Jurassic Park cover. <laughs> you know, it's uh forgot about cover. that. Yeah. How would some better? Sorry, say again. I was, I was going to say much better than my version from earlier in this conversation. <laughs> no, it's, yeah oh that one yeah <laughs> it's, uh... um but yeah it's it, just speaking more to the process too it's at, at when you're a composer when you're signing onto a film uh obviously the the music is in your world and you're going to be putting your mark and your expression toward it but it's it is being guided by the director and it is being guided by the story so it's that it that is an very that is a very very important part of the collaboration it's and i've seen we've talked about you know musical artists indie artists moving into this world um and i've seen a lot of people not really understand that and have an issue with that you take it you take an artist who spent years you know writing albums and writing their songs the buck stops with them they decide if it's good or not they decide if i like it or not maybe if you have maybe if you have a label involved you're getting a little bit of input for the most part you're the artist you're doing the thing then all of a sudden you switch into filmmaking and you meet with the director and they say you know they give you the movie and you start writing the scenes and you're like oh yeah this is great i love this music this is perfect you present it to the director and all of a sudden the director goes yeah i, I don't really know if this is working let's change this you're going what do you mean? Like, you know, you're going to tell me to change like my, it's, it's such a different, such a different thing to be, to have your, your baby, your creative baby presented to someone and then be like, eh, I don't really like this. We need to change that. We need to change that. It's that, that is a, that is a very, very different mindset that, uh, that a lot of people have, um, have trouble stepping into for the first time. Yeah. I, I could imagine because I would I would feel like the same way. You just created something, birthed something, <laughs> and uh, you have to, you know, uh, be able to take not necessarily well, it's rejection in a way, but yeah, you have to take constructive criticism and rejection. And when it comes to like your baby, that that can be hard to do. Uh, Right. I mean, it's. Oh, yeah. But you you got to learn to kill that that part of you. Uh, yes. yes. Very, very quick if you want to make. And it's, and that's not to say you don't have any sort of emotional attachment to it. What you are presenting to the filmmakers, you need to it, it needs to move you in a way that when you watch the scene, you're like, yeah, I'm invested in the scene. I'm invested in these characters. This feels good to me emotionally. But if it doesn't, if it doesn't feel that way to someone else, you need to you need to be receptive to that uh to that information and try to figure out you listen to what they're saying and figure out why absolutely and especially if you trust the director which i mean it seems like you you pick projects with directors that you trust like you said and you know whose vision you want to invest in so coming up ahead what what projects do you have in the pipeline so I have, um, I am getting started on two features right now, two two indie fe features, both comedies actually. Um, can't can't really give too many details about either of them 
yet one one is more of like an action comedy um and the other the other is kind of like a throwback a lot of references to the 90s like as if you were making a 90s comedy it's kind of a fish out of water story so there's this dichotomy of like of like gen x to uh to gen z is kind of like a big it's fish out of water 90s references in in today's context so that's another one of the projects i'm working on and then yeah there's a there's a short film that'll be that'll be coming down the pipeline in a bit that's um an animated short film which i'm very excited for with a recognizable ip um, so that'll, that'll be fun to get, to get out in the world. Um, and then beyond that, uh, oh, no, another animated project. I'm not the, com- the composer on, but I've been listed to, to help work on some of the songs for a big animated, uh, an animated feature that should be coming out in, I think 2025 is the current release date. And it's, um, it's kind of in the vein of, uh, of Prince of Egypt. It's like an animated, like biblical epic, um, so that's uh that's actually that's what i've been working on the last few days and that's what i'll be working on when uh when we're done chatting um so that that's been a lot of fun as well you mentioned 90s project um this will be like my last sort of sentiment isn't it kind of funny how the 90s are now like becoming more of a staple for nostalgia it's always been kind oh, of yeah right like um or a time period which you never even lived in um but 90s are really making a comeback you know the romantic oh, absolutely. i mean everything i would even say the early 2000s are making a comeback <laughs> yeah. right now too with like like pop punk is making a comeback like it's just just look 25 30 years whatever that how long ago that was that is going to be what is making a comeback in terms of nostalgia um because you get the the uh the 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 generation that's coming of age is going to be nostalgic for this period that they never lived for that was like right before anything that they remember and the cycle will continue to to perpetuate itself i imagine to the end of time me too yeah Yeah. it's (laughs) like hauntology constantly longing for a, a simpler time that never really existed and imagining you know futures based on previous behaviors that have always failed like yeah not to get into philosophy but i, I call that or it's hey, why not ontology yeah ontology i like that they say it's going to replace ontology so like <laughs> i don't know if that's going to like coincide with the singularity or or what you know thank you so much for joining uh my podcast I uh, really appreciate your time. I mean, I know how busy you are, but like, man, uh, yeah, your answers were outstanding. And it, it's been great hearing about more of the, the process of composing. I mean, thanks for having me, man. This was a lot of fun to, uh, I, I, as you may have been able to tell, I really enjoy talking about this, uh, this kind of stuff. Um, as you, as you should. Um, yeah. Yeah. Almost, almost as much as doing it. Well, sometimes more. But. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's why we do it. That's why we do it. Yeah. That was Jason Lazarus on Shattering Superstructure, and this is Alex Arabian signing off. Thanks for listening, and tune in next time. Yeah.